You are listening to the Salem First Hunting and Fishing Podcast. Our mission is to connect with and actively engage Western Oregon outdoorsmen. Listen to this podcast, join our Facebook group at Salem First Hunting and Fishing Club, or participate in any of our club fishing trips, shooting events, or hunting trips. You are listening to the Salem First Hunting and Fishing Podcast. We are so glad that you decided to tune in today. I just wanted to take the opportunity to remind you that this is not just a podcast, but I mean, the reason we have such a long and unsearchable name is because we're actually hunting in Salem Hunting and Fishing Club. So don't forget to join us for our club outings and excursions, hunting trips, fishing trips. We'd love to see you guys there. Uh, if you find any value in this show, uh, please come and hang out and maybe you'll find some value in that too. So today we've got one of my heroes in bass fishing coming in, sitting down with us. We're going to we're gonna pick his brain for the next, hopefully not few hours because he's a busy guy. <laughs> but we're also going to bring to you guys some local or outdoor news stories and a little bit of how Bryant and I have been spending our time outdoors early in the summer here. I guess we can start off with an announcement that speaking of hanging out with us in our hunting and fishing trips. We're going clay hunting, <laughs> or I guess we're going trap shooting. So we wanted to open invite anyone who wants to be a part of that. We have a Facebook group called Salem First Hunting and Fishing Club. If you join that group, you'll be able to see, that's where we kind of keep track of our events and whatnot, an easy way there to sign up. Otherwise, I, I guess that'd be the only way to really sign up, right? Sure. If you don't if you don't know us personally. We're gonna do that uh July sixteenth. It's an evening trap shoot. We're talking with a few different places and we'll have a location nailed down soon. But as always, we uh want to provide free events to people. So we're not gonna be asking money to participate in this. Uh just bring your own shells. You're gonna be shooting your own ammo. And uh, like I said, if, if you don't have a gun, if you don't have access to a shotgun, then talk talk with us on the Facebook group, and we'd be happy to uh, figure something out. Yeah, we'll get you hooked up. Well, moving forward, I'd like to introduce our guest today. Uh, he's fished professionally for 34 years. You've been sponsored by some of the biggest brands, you know, around. You've also produced uh, or help produce Gary Yamamoto. If you guys don't know that that name, you're probably living under a rock. <laughs> <laughs> but you've kind of been able to to work with some of the greatest, you know, companies in the fishing community. We're just really excited to have you today and pick your brain about fishing. So. Sure. Well, thanks for having me. I'm glad to be here. Jay yeah, Yellis. It's an honor to be sitting at the table with yeah. Jay Yellis. Yeah. <laughs> I, I explained to our pastor, you're like the Michael Jordan of bass fishing. Well, I don't know about yep. that, but. <laughs> well, and then, and then I was kind of thinking, well, you got like KVD, right? Dr. Crankenstein. I think you're the king of finesse. Yeah. The king of finesse. The king of finesse. All right. I like it. I'll, that'll work. <laughs> Sweet. Well, normally later on in the show, we would have done the five icebreaker questions with our guests, but we wanted to, to kind of expedite our introduction here. So, uh. Eric is going to hit Jay with five icebreakers. Well, I already know how he's going to answer the first one. Baitcaster or spinning reel? Both. Both. <laughs> you have to be fluent with either one to do what, what I've done for all the years that I've fished. So you, it, they're just tools. 
for a job. And boy, you need to be handy with both of them to cover all your bases. Salmon or bass fishing? These days, salmon fishing. I, I made a career out of bass fishing, so mm-hmm. I've had, I've caught a lot of bass, and uh, it's something new. I, I'm there's, I still have a lot more to learn about it, so it's a challenge. So you've caught six thousand seven hundred and four pounds nine ounces. Is that right? Of large yeah, mouth and lot. small mouth. <laughs> I guarantee you I haven't that's caught that many pounds of salmon. <laughs> that's a lot of fish. All right, number three, hard or a soft bait? Oh, hard baits for me are always a lot more fun to fish with. Yeah, for bass, you just get those reaction strikes. Uh, let's see, river or lake? Rivers. I love river fishing. Really? Yeah. I've, okay. I just, yeah, I mean, I've been to so many cool rivers over the all over the country, and I just get a, a just, I enjoy shallow water fishing and not deep fishing looking at my live scope, so... River fishing is more you see what's in front of you and you fish it and it's just fits my style. Yeah. And do you have a particular river that you like to fish? Oh man, I've fished oh, probably the Columbia River is for the smallmouth is yep. fantastic. That's our best bass fishing here in in Oregon is the Columbia yep. River by far, I would say. Really? Oh, as far as rivers go. For bass? Yeah, for rivers. But there's I've fished great, you know, all lakes all over the country and rivers and but on the west coast, yeah, the Columbia is the best one. Yeah. Clear Lake or Red Crest? Oh gosh. Well I didn't ever did fish uh, the MLF tour oh, and really? I just fished bass. So mm-hmm. it's uh Clear Lake, California. Yeah. That's yeah. I've always said that that's my favorite bass oh, lake yeah. for largemouth. Just it's just yeah, really? oh, it's just beautiful there and the fa- the fishing is fantastic and there's giants way in the upper teens bass that big and so it's yeah it's wow. just such a pleasure to be at, down there at clear lake cool moving the show along we always talk about eric and i's outdoor adventures in the last seven days to keep us accountable to what we talk about and for me it is the middle now of or kind of toward the end almost of spring bear season and so i've been getting up there i haven't seen any bears yet but I'm also, I've been sticking into some really brushy, low elevation stuff. And I think it's about time for me to move up. But here's my, here's my story. What goes along with climbing around in the sticks in springtime is ticks. And I, I've been bit by ticks multiple times. You know, it's not that big of a deal. You just pull them out. But this time, uh, I pull the tick out and almost immediately my arm is pretty swollen around the bite area and I was thinking okay that's not good keep an eye on it you know the whole day goes by and it's still looking worse start doing some research to get scared about Lyme disease WebMD is the worst yep and then uh that night or the the next night I got really sleepy and tired and I woke up the next morning with a pounding headache and a fever and I threw up and I was just not doing good so Instead of going to church on Sunday, I went to urgent care and I sat in a waiting room for literally two hours, sick, which was not fun. And then the doctor saw me for less than two minutes and the conversation went something like this. He asked, where were you? I said, the woods. He said, yeah, but where? Coast range? Cascades? I said, coast? He said, okay, we don't have Lyme disease over here. You're good. And he just gave me antibiotics and sent me on my way. So, Hmm. yeah. I've but. never had a tick. No? No. Leech. Wow. Do Leech. they have ticks in Alaska? Uh, I don't think so. 
So, Reaches for sure, though. Yeah. Yeah. Well, if you need to know, we have ticks here. And uh, if you pull them out <laughs> wrong, here's the lesson learned. Whenever I've gotten a tick in the past, I've put some sort of like rubbing alcohol or, you know, try to do the lighter thing. Sure. I learned from this experience, it's actually what you're not supposed to do because it can cause the tick to uh, regurgitate mm-hmm. the uh, fluid back into you with bacteria. And that's what happened. I put some high proof alcohol on it. It kind of starts to kill them, but they regurgitate. So all that you want to do is get a nice sturdy pair of tweezers, grab it close to the head and slowly pull until it pops out and make sure you get the mouth and the head out with it. And then you'll be fine. Uh, But I got sick. So watch out for those ticks this season. Well, and just so you know, I carry one of those tools in my truck. They they actually make a tape. Tick, tick tool yeah the guy who's never getting bit by a tick never gotten bit by a tick <laughs> but he comes prepared yeah he's yeah. got the tool <laughs> yeah you know tick removal if you ever need a compass i have one of those in my truck too well eric what was your uh, last seven days well mother's day um we went out fishing for smallmouth off the willamette river dodge island it's pretty quick current in there i could see where you could be you could be pretty successful if you were fishing it by boat. However, we were fishing, you know, offshore. Got a couple of bites, ended up hooking what I thought I was hooking into a fish. So I set my hook oh, nice. <laughs> into a log. Classic. Um, which is pretty easy to do in that area. Um, so then when I set my hook, my rod pretty much came all the way back, smacked me in the end of the nose. And then that 20-pound fluorocarbon snapped and hit me in the nose again. <laughs> but it sounded like a 22 going off. It, I, I've never had that happen before. Yeah, that was the first time for me. I've got scars all over my hand from breaking heavy fluorocarbon. Really? It's, it's not fun. Wow. Yeah. And, and it, it's it's a little bit scary when it when yeah. it goes off. It's got a distinct snap to it. So I've never even, I can't imagine it, like just the... The line snaps and whips back at you. A lot of times it breaks right at the reel. I've had oh. that happen a lot where, like, where you're hung up and you're pulling and you're pulling and it breaks and somehow it whips back and cuts you on one of your fingers. Wow. Huh. But the key to that is just use eight pound line and then it's easy to break. <laughs> yeah. 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 So Eric, when I got bit by a tick and got sick, I also did not get a bear. Did you at least get to land any fish that day? Uh, No, I didn't land any fish that day. I had... Oh, four or five bites. They're fairly finicky still at that point. But so what I'm saying is we've kind of had a rough week. <laughs> you know, we've, we've been getting goose egged a lot. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and that's just part of fishing. You know, um, I've, I've fished my entire life and I'm okay with going home unsuccessfully because, you know, I've been able to go out and catch fish and, you know, I just enjoy going out. Yeah. And for our local news story this week, we're going to talk about a couple of black bear cubs that were poached in Siletz, Oregon on, uh, uh, back in October. So, you know, during the deer season, a couple of people, a mom and a son pair, trespassed onto some private property just outside of Siletz, shot a bear cub, and then uh, apparently they left. Then they came back to retrieve it and saw another bear another bear cub standing they thought it was the same one that they shot before so they shot that one and then they walk over and there's two dead bear cubs laying on the ground next to each other obviously poaching to shoot anything on private property 
that you don't have permission on to hunt. Right. And it's also poaching to shoot a bear under 12 months, right. which is considered a bear cub, mm-hmm. or a bear traveling with a cub. So, you know, if you if you see a, a sow with cubs under a year old, you're not supposed to shoot that. Well, they kind of just decided to shoot the cubs, I guess. The, the mother of the cubs was never found mm. in the area, so uh, we don't really know what happened there. But here's the thing. They got a $15,000 fine, lost their hunting privileges for three years. Um, and then it was 60 mo- or sixty days probation, right, Eric? Uh, 60 months. 60 months. Oh, 60 months? Bench probation. So oh. they don't even have to check in with a parole officer or anything like that. Got it. Got it. Uh, but anyway, I thought that was quite egregious. Um, and interesting to me that the... Oregon State Police Wildlife Division sends out a newsletter every month that covers a lot of the big poaching incidents that they, uh, you know, caught people on and the charges that they got and whatnot. And the charges for elk and deer and everything is way smaller than the charges for a bear, which I don't know. Does that make sense to you guys? Doesn't to me. It seems like it, you know, they all should be pretty concurrent. Um, however, I'm also under the belief if, if you take a underage animal, it should probably carry more of a punishment. The fine though, $15,000, like that's way more than I've heard of anyone getting for poaching an elk, you know, and, and there's times you hear of people going out and shooting an elk in the head with a 22, leaving it to rot, you know, and when that person gets caught, some of those people only get a slap on the wrist, you know? Yeah. It's interesting to me, and I think it might be because it's a bear, society sees them as a more, like, kind of sacred animal almost, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, people who don't hunt, it, they think of bear hunting as worse than deer hunting, you know? Um, and I even know people who, when they're new getting into hunting, and they start off, you know, deer hunting or bird hunting or something, they, they've even made comments like, oh, but I would never go bear hunting, you know, as if uh, if as if the bear is some sort of animal that mm. shouldn't be hunted. Um, so that's why I thought it was interesting to note that they got higher fines for shooting a bear. Also, for the turn in poachers tip program, you get more preference points for turning in a bear poached rather than a deer. Hmm. It's uh, it's just interesting how we've assigned these different values to these animals, you know? Well, it's it's funny you mentioned that. Uh, I had a buddy, well, he's several years older than me. I'm not going to say his name on, on air, but he had been catching fish illegally for years, was getting the slap on the hand every once in a while, and finally ODF&W uh, came and shut his business down, took all of his, his vehicles. He ended up doing a couple of years in prison. Wow. Yeah, and he lost his hunting and fishing rights for the rest of his life. So For his life? Yeah. Wow. That that one they don't throw around. So for all the spring bear hunters and when fall comes around, fall bear hunters, keep an eye out. Watch those sows a little bit longer to make sure there's not some cubs bouncing around with them, hiding in the bushes, up in the trees, because that's that's a mistake that hunters will make sometimes when they see a bear, get all excited, shoot it, and then, oh, there's cubs. Right. Uh, that's one thing I'm going to I'm going to take note of that when I'm bear hunting. Mm-hmm. Uh hopefully I'll be able to watch the bear 
in an opening for a little bit and really make sure if I shoot a sow, you know, obviously you want to shoot a boar better for the population and just a bigger bear, but yeah, watch for cubs. Yep. Hey everyone, this is Bryant here with an interrupter. And by the way, I'm experimenting with these interrupter chimes, trying to find a good one. So uh, if you have any ideas, make sure to hit us up and give us a pointers. I wanted to let everyone know that we record these podcasts a month in advance, so sometimes our information is a little outdated by the time it airs. It is now June 15th, and I'm sitting down editing this, getting ready to post it in the next day or two, and I wanted to give an example of just how light of a slap on the wrist you get sometimes for poaching elk and deer. Uh, In the most recent newsletter from the Oregon State Police Fish and Wildlife Division newsletter. Uh, They talked about a person who had a guilty plea in hunting while trespassing. They were filming themselves killing and wasting elk to make hunting videos, is what they put in the article here. And he only received a $1,000 fine, 24 months probation, and a five-year hunting suspension. So uh, all in all, financially that's a lot less of a hit than those people who poached the bears got uh i found i just find that to be very interesting uh the way that the justice system sometimes doesn't take wildlife crime very serious so that was our local hunting related news story now let's get into our interview with jay so today we have bassmaster elite series champion 2002 Angler of the Year 2003, Jay Yellis. Jay's, Jay's name is synonymous with bass fishing. I mean, you, you've worked for some of the best companies in the industry and you, your reputation and you're a great ambassador, ambassador for the sport. And, uh, you know, we're super excited to have you here. Uh, one of the other things, there's two things that I want to explain. Uh, and one of those is that you also won an SP award back in 2003 correct that's correct yeah a long time ago so those are pretty hard to get (laughs) bright and i were like that's pretty much like getting an oscar in the sports world i i just have to interrupt real quick and say jay when we started this whole podcast dream we wrote down a list of like 10 people and you were at the top of the list and eric Eric was like i think we can get jay on so in the way that eric talks about you you know you'd think that you were the president or you have like a hollywood star (laughs) or something so you yeah. know, no, it's a huge honor. <laughs> I'm glad. I'm glad to be here. Be your guest today. So thank you. Yeah, you bet. The last thing, the last title that kind of you've if you're growing into, I guess, is grandfather. That's right. Yep. So that's yeah, pretty my, cool. Yeah, that is. It's very uh, cool. And yeah, my little, our little grandson was born on June second last year, so he's coming up on his, you know one year old birthday and and yeah he's the apple of our eye we we spent a lot of time with him and it's fun watching him grow he's just getting ready to start walking and talking and all that i love it brian's got a baby on the way too yep yep. july so we'll have a a two-year-old and a zero-year-old yeah they're a lot of work when you're the dad but when you're the grandpa (laughs) you just hand them back yep (laughs) yep and it's it's the best of both worlds but yeah so that's great well congratulations yeah thank you just kind of in my doing research and stuff like that you've you've fished so many events over the last 34 years and we were just talking before coming on air that you know you spend two weeks 
out of the month mm-hmm. over on the east coast fishing these tournaments and you're flying back and forth and you're stashing boats at different places that's got to be hard on your your family life your personal life after 34 years and yet you're still kind of doing it just to in another direction now with cast for kids Mm -hmm. you know you've worked with some of the biggest names you know in the fishing industry and it seems like those individuals are still with you or supporting your endeavors and i think that's really cool and that that's testament to who you are as a person yeah well thanks eric we i've been a pro fisherman for like 35 years and i just retired last fall and from the bass elite series and that was i started in in uh like Started fishing Bassmaster events in 89. Wow. And yeah, and I graduated from Oregon State in 87. So after I graduated a couple years, for the next couple years, I fished all the big tournaments out west. They're different circuits back then than they are today, but yeah. you know, California and Arizona. And, and then I moved back, my wife and I moved to Texas in 91 and started fishing the Bassmaster circuit. So that's been many decades ago. And sure. I, I'm just so thankful to have a career doing something I love to do. Yeah. You know, that, and I was blessed to be able to make a living doing something that I really enjoyed and was passionate about. It's a lot of hard work, too. It's it's super competitive. Um, and you have to catch, to make a living at it, you have to catch, consistently do better. You don't have to win all the time, but you consistently have to outfish the best fishermen in America. Right. To get to make the money and have a top 10 and every now and then win one and, and, and to get the sponsors and all that. So it's super competitive and it's a lot of, a lot of hard work too. And the lifestyle's tough cause you are traveling. There's none of those tournaments are at, on the West coast. They're all from Texas East and then up to New York and Michigan and all around the Eastern half of the country. So yeah, I would keep a boat back East and in a truck and I'd fly back and forth the last 15 or or so years and then the first 17 years i lived in texas to kind of get my career going back there wow so you've built up some uh bonus miles and stuff like I got that a, huh? executive platinum <laughs> yeah <laughs> nice. status with nice. american but yeah so i but i you know growing up around here i'm going to osu i had a dream of being a pro fisherman i used to fish tournaments around oregon when i was at oregon state and uh, back then, I just had a little, like a 14-foot aluminum boat, you know, with a little outboard on it. And I, but I had friends that I that had bass boats, and I we'd fish the tournaments out of their bass boat, and that's how I started. And I, and then after I graduated, I moved down to Arizona to fish and fished in Arizona and California for a year or two kind of the minor leagues really mm-hmm. if you compare it to baseball and and after being successful at that level then i moved back to texas and started fishing on the Bassmaster circuit back in 89 it was my first year doing that so yeah it was it's been a long time but i'm i still love it fishing that's what i do all the time when i get a free chance to yeah. have a take what i like now is just fishing with friends and family because tournaments are all about you and what you can catch right. it's an individual sport and so i i love sharing the joy of fishing with people and putting people you asked, earlier you asked me if i like salmon or bass better the reason i like salmon fishing better now is i like taking my family or friends sure in a big boat and putting them on fish and l- watching them have the joy of catching those things because they're fun they fight really hard and they're good to eat so that's i've had enough of fishing for bass just by myself to you know i like i like 
sharing the joy yeah. with the other people. And that's why I, I enjoy running the cast for kids foundation because it's a, it's really a ministry to children with special needs and it, we provide opportunities for them. Right. Children with special needs to have a day of fishing and celebration. So we've, yeah. uh, we've mentioned cast for kids a couple of times. Could you just give an overview of you kind of right to it? Right. So I mentioned that I retired from bass fishing last fall, but I, I'm not retired. I run the cast for kids foundation full time now. And I've been, I've been doing that about eight years. And so, you know, it's a nonprofit. We've been around this is our 32nd year and we have events across the country. And we, the events are really to just celebrate kids with special needs and show them that they're loved and valued by their community. And they're volu- totally volunteer-driven where people local in the local community volunteer to come out and help. And the foundation just, you know, kind of provides the leadership to make all the events happen. In a nutshell, that's what we do. So we have events from coast to coast, and we have like six this year in Oregon. But we'll have oh, cool. about a, about a hundred nationwide. So Texas has the most. They ha- they'll have thirty or so. And but they're all over. We have one in we have one in Central Park in New York City this coming weekend. Oh, nice! That's yeah. awesome. Yeah, we do. And wow. they're and they're um. We were up on the Hudson River in New York last week. They were striper fishing. Kids were catching big stripers. And is is it kind of like a little mini fishing tournament with a couple prizes, or is it just no? There's it's not a tournament. It's the kids that we take. They're their special needs vary widely from like mild autism to quadriplegics or blind kids. Wow. And I mean, there's a lot of kids with Down syndrome or physically, mentally handicapped. And these are kids that have never caught a fish. They've never been in a boat. They don't know. It's brand new experience to them. So there, it's not a tournament. We don't have a way in. We, we just take pictures, usually let the fish go yeah. and just, and it's just, and then the best part after the fishing's over, we have lunch for everybody, and then a big award ceremony where we call each child up to the front of the group, and they get an award plaque, and everybody cheers for them. Oh, and, and, nice. and then the yeah. kids get the mic. They <laughs> oh, get to really? Tell, oh, yeah, okay. and they can tell about their day. Or do you have a, a memorable time when someone said something? I do. I got lots of them, but what, we were had one event out at Prineville. This was in Oregon a few years ago, and the mom. And dad and their little, their daughter was six years old and she was nonverbal. Mm-hmm. And so a, a boat, a boater took him out fishing in his boat and they were gone a couple hours and they came back to the dock and the, they pull up to the dock and I was on shore and I'm looking down at the dock and the mom jumps out of the boat onto the dock and she starts running up towards the top where all we were all gathered. And I thought she had a big fish to share or a fish story but she i said well, did you guys catch a big one she said oh no it's way better than that my daughter started talking today in the boat once we, when we start when we were catching fish wow that's awesome <laughs> she, yeah so she wow. said she would they'd put the their catch in the live well and mm. the, their daughter would look down the live well and yeah here fishy fishy wow that's, yeah and that's so that awesome. was i mean that's so there's a lot of breakthrough I love that. yeah there's there's all kinds of cool heartwarming stories yeah those kids just don't get an opportunity very often to explore something new yeah and to it kind of gives opens their mind about hey if i can fish maybe what else can i do you know and i can't you know absolutely they don't get out much be honest with you they um they just don't get to enjoy the outdoors the way most of us take for granted so it's pretty fun it's a special program i enjoy it a lot and uh yeah cast is our website to learn more cool great 
I love it. One question that we like to ask every guest is to share, and it's a hard one, share your favorite hunting or fishing experience or outdoor memory. I've got lots of those. They, uh, they're all your favorite. They're all my favorite. (laughs) I'll tell you the one. So the, my, the most dramatic fish I ever caught was in the Bassmaster classic that I won in Oh two. Okay. So we're, I'll set the stage. We're at Lay Lake and near Birmingham, Alabama. And it was the uh, second day of the tournament and I was leading the tournament. And so I had a big flotilla of spectator boats that were following, following me on the water, watching me fish. Like, like 30, 30 or 40, just like fishing filming fan. or no, just, just fans. fishing fans. Oh yeah. And wow. all the big tournament. It's Is that great. a thing that happens? Like uh, how far yeah, back do they have to crazy. stay? Like, do you, you have, have like a pole, you push them away from you or no. <laughs> back at, back in the South, it's a very popular sport and you'll typically have 30 to 80 boats, boats following the boats. leader while he's fishing to watch, Wow, watch wow. him fish. And so they, there's no police or escorts or, <laughs> or, and none of those guys are fishing. They're just watching. They're watching. So, wow. Yeah. So That's it's a big deal. It can be a job to manage the traffic flow (laughs) but anyway so anyways so i'm sounds like the the water level the lake might go up from the displacement of all the boats in the water (laughs) it's a different deal for sure and it's kind of like going out in the woods i know you like to hunt from what i hear be like going out in the woods to kill a a a deer and have 80 people following you watching you yeah i can't imagine that it it adds a whole It adds a whole nother perspective and challenge to what you're trying to accomplish catching these fish. So anyway, where I was fishing, I was in a river and I was below a dam on the, on that lake, the very upper end of Lay Lake. And so it's a tail race fishery. They would generate power out of this dam, um, on a scheduled basis each day hmm. in the summer. So they would release water and the river would come up about where I was fishing would rise three or four feet while they were generating power. And then they would turn the water off and the lake and the river would drop three or four feet. So, so I was fishing along the shoreline, pitching a jig to some um, dead trees and logs and all these, the boats were kind of out in the middle of the river watching. So while we're, (laughs) so while we're competing in these tournaments, the lakes are not closed to the public. They're still open to everyone to the public that wants to fish so while i'm fishing there was a local boat a pontoon boat and they were drifting down the middle of the river and they were fishing while they were drifting along so eventually their drift got blocked by this flotilla of 30 or 40 spectator boats yeah they reeled their poles in and then they started their motor and they they took the put the hammer down and they came right at me and my boat and i'm up against the bank fishing the bank and they come right at me, and right at the last second, they turned off, and they ran right up the bank. I'm getting ready to fish like 20 feet off the shore. Basically, they drove their boat right over my spot. On purpose? I think. I don't know. But it, they were so close, I could, as they went by me on plane, I could have reached out with my rod Man. and hit their boat. I yeah. mean, it was, so it was wow. it was like the most unsportsmanlike thing I'd ever seen in wow. all my years fishing. It, you know, just crazy. Yeah, it's an insult. So I – and I – since I was leading the tournament, I had a live camera, an ESPN got cameraman on the back of the boat, and I turned around. I said, I shook my head. I said, it would take an act of God for me to catch one now. 
Oh boy, <laughs> famous last words. So yeah, you, so so I, my my next cast I throw out there, and I'm I'm not even paying attention to my jig. It's drifting along in the current. I'm still watching this boat, and he's running up the bank. I'm wanting to fish, and I'm mad. I'm mad, you know. Yeah, yeah. And, and uh, the guy just ran over my spot, and I reel up my slack. I go to feel for my bait, and I'm get uh, there's a fish on my line, on my hook. <laughs> I go, I set the hook, I got one. Wow! <laughs> and I couldn't believe it. I, it would have been a miracle to catch a little twelve inch keeper right then, uh-huh. you know. But it turned out this was the biggest fish of the whole tournament. Oh, wow. wow! Seven pounder. Wow! And I landed that fish, and I went on to win the tournament. And after I that later that night, I was like, man, it's, I looked into that camera and i said it would take an act of god to catch one now uh-huh and my next cast i catch the biggest fish of the whole tournament and you weren't even trying that hard yeah i mean wow. so <laughs> every tournament after that though every time i'd throw my jig out under my breath i'd be saying it would take an act of god to catch one now oh, yeah. <laughs> it yeah. never it never happened again oh, no. just like that <laughs> but it happened that day and that's how that was pretty dramatic it was all caught on film and I went on to win the tournament, and when that happens, it's kind of hard not to give God the glory. Yeah. For, for, I mean, that's pretty much a no-brainer. Yeah. Mm. So anyway, that's how that went down. That was, to answer your question, that was the most dramatic wow. catch that I, I can right. recall. Thanks for setting the scene, too, with the convoy of boats oh, yeah. and the water. It sounds chaotic. <laughs> Very much. Yeah. So, Jay, who do you look up to in the, the fishing tournament series or you know you've 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 gotten to you know fish up along some of the best elite series guys you know in the country let alone the world some of them are coming over now from japan australia new zealand to fish our series which is crazy who who do you see as someone that's kind of been influential to you over the years and it doesn't necessarily need to be a elite series fisherman but yeah, well, there's a lot of great fishermen out there, and but the ones that I look up to are the ones that are not just good fishermen, but they also are great guys that then they like to give back and try to um, help other people. Yeah. And, and so that's those are the guys I really look up to, and and there's there's several of them on tour that that I can that come to mind. People like Mark Davis, who's out of Arkansas, a great friend of mine. Mark Rose, he's mm-hmm. the same back um shaw grigsby i've known just tremendous amount of respect for shaw just he's been you writing these down eric (laughs) he's been at it for a long time and i have a ton of respect for him and you can tell the way those guys carry themselves and they don't um they don't fish other people's spots you know they don't just hear a rumor that oh so-and-so's catching them over in this spot and they don't go over there they, they just Race stay over yeah. they just find their own fish and they stay out of everybody's way and then they do a lot to give back and uh, most of them are you know they love god and they they love people and they just want to see the world they want to leave this place better than they found it when they're done yeah. and, and they do a lot with kids and high school kids fishing and stuff so that's what i like to see well and, and you you equated that back to to one thing and that's god right so all of you guys are not only great ambassadors but you guys are also christians and so you're kind of mm-hmm. your your vision is a lot different than some of the other guys on tour and stuff so how how does that look oh there's guy most of the guys on tour are, are not christian guys and they're there's all they are all about themselves and what they can accomplish with their career which there's you know that's that's the way of the world i mean people it's all about me and how much 
I can win and how much money I can make and how much fame and glory I can get and me, me, me. It's yeah. what it's about. But I, I always, to answer your question, I always had most respect for guys that would, you know, would kind of deflect that off of them and it would give, they'd give God the glory or they'd try to use it, use their success to make other people's lives better. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's what I have the most respect for is guys like that. That's awesome. It seems like within the elite series anyway, there's a group of guys that are open about their faith, very open about their faith, even so much so that, you know, they'll do the the morning prayer before a tournament. And Oh, yeah. Oh, that that Bass does that now. Um, the, the Every morning before takeoff, they have a they do this, the national anthem and they do a prayer before takeoff. And it, they have different people um, sing the national anthem and different people pray every every morning. They have a group of folks they cycle through that do that. So it's neat to be a part of an organization that, that uh, honors the God and country at the start of every day. Yeah, that's awesome. It is. It is awesome. So one thing, we always want our listeners to be able to walk away with some sort of tangible tips or ideas lessons about the outdoors so i was wondering if you could give us some uh, bass fishing tips but i want to kind of narrow it down this is going to be released around mid-july or i'm sorry mid-june this will be released around mid-june and uh i think we should talk smallmouth so what do i need to do to catch a smallmouth in mid-june so in in Western Oregon in mid June, the fish are post spawn. They're coming off the beds, and it's actually my favorite time of year for topwater fishing. And and primarily, I've caught you know more largemouth than smallmouth on topwater. I know you just asked about smallmouth, but but the smallmouth will bite topwater baits too. But um, topwater can be like a buzz bait or a chugger, or if it's a lot of weeds, a frog can be a really good bait. In in on top but that's that's my it's the best time of year for top water fishing i've found is around this time of year like if you're at the coast lakes like devil's lake or mm. silk coos or any of those like around the lily pad beds and those areas where the fish spawn top water baits early especially early and late and you know if you go out i love that june it's light until you can fish literally till 9 30 at night yeah and the top water bite if you're out there like from seven to p.m. until dark man the topwater fishing can be really good it's not going to be good in the middle of the day right and it, but it's it's an evening thing in the middle of the day you're going to probably do a lot of uh, finesse fishing with a spinning rod and a drop shot or a little ned rig or a shaky head little baits like that um, okay to catch you know the post-spawn fish get pretty lethargic and they you sometimes have to finesse them and that's usually the best way to catch them when they're done spawning. Yeah. But they'll get on that top water bait at night. June isn't really the best time like for spinner baits, crank baits, stuff like that. That's better when the water's colder. Mm-hmm. So I'm looking at soft plastics or top water in June. Like a Texas rig, kind of mm-hmm. walking it around cover and docks, jigging on the bottom. Yeah, you yeah, with the fin- with the worms you want to fish those on the bottom, usually around shade docks or or uh logs trees and any kind of weeds in the water they like that shade in the middle of the day and you can uh, just do with a spinning rod and light line you can skip under docks or you know throw up around the trees okay and uh if smallmouth fishing if you're on the river like little current eddies 
that they start once they're done spawning like on the willamette they'll migrate out towards the main river channel and the main current that's where they spend the summer but you can catch them on little eddies off of the main river flow mm-hmm. in june they start working their way out there really okay yeah mm-hmm. so i i heard you mention something that's kind of funny is uh devil's lake out on the coast i've i know several people who have sworn up and down that there's no bass in that lake mm-hmm. that you know and because i'll went oh i there's been a couple times where i said oh maybe i should throw some bass lures like oh there's no bass in this yeah there's i can tell you stories about devil's lake oh yeah (laughs) yeah back in the 80s when i was going to oregon state the lake was eutrophic eutropic where it had there were so many weeds they're all matted on top in the summer and the water skiers couldn't even get around it was like wow half the lake was the weeds were matted on the surface over half the lake so they put wow. uh asian grass carp in yeah, there those, like in they, the late they 80s. have a lot of those carps still and most of them have died by now but they're still um and the grass is starting to come back did they put in the ones that can't the mm-hmm. sterile ones yeah the triploid or whatever no way yeah, they can't I had, spawn i didn't realize that mm-hmm. so like i haven't been over there this year but last year the weeds were coming back pretty good but i anyway Back when I was in the 80s, I'd spend my summers over there in Lincoln City working. And uh, every night I'd go out on Devil's Lake and throw a buzz bait. And I'd catch like 15, 20 largemouth every Whoa. single night. Wow. On top while it was, it was like the dream buzz bait fishery. While it was in, still weedy? While, while the weeds were in there. And then the carp ruined it. The carp, uh, yeah. They took all the habitat away. Uh-huh. For the fish. And so the bass population went all the way down to hardly anything like i could you know the the some of the better fishermen that know the lake really well would could go out there and fish all day and catch two bass hmm. oh, i mean there's okay all the habitat was gone yeah and so but now the last year i was there in the fall and the the lakes was starting to fill up with weeds again i think those carp have died off so the large and I noticed when I was fishing there that just tons of little like two to four inch largemouth. So okay, so they're coming. They're in. they're going to come back. It New takes generation. a while. Maybe in about four or five years, that'll be really good bass fishing there. So again. it's funny to bring up the carp, and I'd really like to know if they stocked carp more than just once in the eighties because, you know, I I've seen plenty of carp there even the last few years, and you know throw bread out for yeah, them and their know. people's pets so it, it'd be crazy to me if those were the same fish you know yeah from i don't 40 think they years could live. i don't think they must have stocked it more than once yeah they can't i don't think a carp can live 40 years hmm. <laughs> <laughs> well there, there has been stranger things happening lately I, I think i told you this uh there's there's been some some talk of striped bass coming up further north on yeah. the Oregon coast and yeah, yeah. You hear about them like out of Coquille and you know further south, but there's there's actually been picture evidence of people catching striped bass pretty far north. So well, like into the river system, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah the Umpqua is a really famous striped bass fishery in Reedsport, but I I don't know how far I don't know that I've heard of them being caught like a Newport, not that far north. No, I don't think but, it's that but, far. Yeah, but but that's there's not. It, Reedsport and Newport aren't that far apart, but maybe like Florence. Mm-hmm. I don't know if they've come up that far, but but yeah, stripers get big. I don't ever. I've never been down there to fish for those stripers in Oregon. They're they're an interesting fish though. The way they can go out in salt water or live in fresh water. Yeah, 
anadromous, kind of like a salmon or a steelhead. Yep, yep. Yeah, and you wouldn't think of that with a warm water species, Uh you know. Um, But keeping it on topic with the tips. So we've narrowed down uh, western Oregon in mid-June down to the Willamette River, down to smallmouth bass. Okay, so this is a pretty specific trip we're talking about. But now we want to know if shore fishing, if you have any tips for making that bite happen if it's much different than a boat the problem you can catch just as many bass from shore as you can from a boat if you can get access on the shore to the best spots that's the hard part where in a boat you can get you can fish anywhere you want and it's hard to get just in the just the right spot from shore but so in the spring the 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 bass migrate back in the sloughs to spawn off the main river behind the little islands and you know what the deal in the calm water where there's no current. And then, so you want to try to find some shore spots that would be where the fish are. And and then, but by June, they're starting to move back out to the main river. So I would look for places out on the main river, little eddies like where the current swings around a point. Mm -hmm. Then you have a little quiet pocket and eddy where, and they like those little places. And I don't know, gosh, I've never really shore fished off of the Willamette before, but I know, you know, there's not a lot of great access that I'm aware of other than mm. boat ramps and around the bridges and stuff. Yeah. I mean, if you are okay with bushwhacking and hiking, yeah, you I, could do I that. sure found a lot of those <laughs> spots when I was in high school, yeah. but yeah. <laughs> nowadays I'd prefer to keep it a little easier. Kayaks are great for Kayak. slipping into some spots. Mm-hmm. Um, but I have a question about reading the water for bass. You mentioned looking at a point where the current kind of swirls around. So you'd have like a sort of a dead spot in the water on one side of the point. Right. And then the other side might have more current. Yeah. Are you going to cast straight out to that line or are you going to cast into the calm water? They could be anywhere in there. Usually they're close to where the current seam is, where it goes from fast to slow, but they could be milling around anywhere in that back current. And that, you know, that's, those eddies are good, but you got to realize bass aren't going to live in that main river current. They're not a, the Willamette's way too strong, but they'll, they'll be in those little soft areas near the main current. Hmm. Or like in the spring, they'll push back into those sloughs and there might be a mild secondary current going through there real slow. Yeah. Like a little creek. Yeah. Yeah. So they like that kind of, they'll get right in that kind of current. They're just not going to live out in that main they're not like a trout or a salmon that's going to live in that heavy heavy current they don't they like to be in the summer they like being near that but in quieter water so they don't have to work so hard. so even if there's a bunch of sticks and stumps going into the water if there's a pretty strong current will you will you fish that bank or will you find a spot that has a slow eddy area well smallmouth don't really gravitate towards wood like sticks and logs like largemouth really do but smallmouth are more they just like a good rocky gravel bottom that the smallmouth the key to them is around is the bottom composition like they don't like sand clay bottoms they like rocks like gravel gravel or chunk rock got it okay yeah and so that explains why i caught so many in the yam hill growing up (laughs) yeah rock is it rocky in there yeah yeah yeah. yeah. so they smallmouth love rocks and so when you're fishing around a rocky bank for smallmouth, the one thing that you'll notice is like a, one of the best lures is a drop shot rig for smallmouth, but that hangs up in those 
chunk rock bank. So you can't fish a drop shot cause you just hang up all the time. So yeah. then you want to go to like a, like a, you can, a three eighths ounce jig uh, or like a, you know, like a skirted jig with a Yamamoto double tail or whatever on the back or go to a, like an eighth ounce, like Ned rig or shaky head, little worm, something real light that won't get down in those rocks and get stuck. Yeah. Like a drop shot sinker will. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So have have you used a lot of uh, paddle baits or swim swim paddle bait? Oh, type? yeah. What, what's kind of your favorite one uh, that you've come across? My favorite is the Bastrix, the six-inch Bastrix. Mm-hmm. And that one, I like with the belly-weighted hook. I When that thing first came out, it was money all over the country in the big tournaments because they'd never seen it before. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I, it came out like in 07, and I'll never forget traveling around and throw it, but being one of the first guys to ever throw it in lakes in the Carolinas or in Arkansas and places. And it was, man, it was just like amazing. It was like magic. <laughs> <laughs> They'd never seen it. And they, cause it's these public lakes we fish, we're fishing for the same fish over and over. Mm-hmm. They, in the public lakes, they've all, all the bass have been caught and yeah. Yeah, some of them yeah. multiple times. So you have to, you're trying to refool the same fish. So yeah. when they see, when you see, come out with something new they've never seen before, it makes it pretty easy. It makes sense. They're pretty aggressive by nature. You go yeah. to a little pond that's never been fished ever, and you throw in there, you're going to catch something pretty something quick. Something that'll fit in their mouth. <laughs> yeah, they they'll come and find you, and they'll they'll yeah. they're very aggressive fish. It's just when they've been caught several times, they kind of get a little gun shy. One time, I was uh, fishing with my cousin on the M Hill just walking up and down the banks casting and uh, there was a a mud clay bank that dropped straight off into the river where you know obviously the water had cut it vertical and it was pretty deep and I caught a little snake that was probably six inches Mm. long and just kind of chucked it into the water and sure enough a smallmouth bass comes up and grabs it and swims back down (laughs) you never forgot that and then about 30 seconds later the snake comes swimming back up from the bottom of the river so he got away. I don't know if the bass decided he didn't want to eat a snake, but spit him out. <laughs> yep, yeah, it's, yep. Probably bit him. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just a little guard. Yeah, hmm. yeah. But on your note of them eating, you know, maybe we we should make a really realistic snake lure. Yeah, might be the next big thing. <laughs> so we've kind of been talking about making our own lures a little bit, and the uh, dock knocker, the dock knocker. I've got yeah. a I've got an idea of kind of what we want or kind of looking into the mold and all that stuff now his his dad's a machinist so yeah that'd be fun people love i know a lot of guys that love making baits and their own lures it's a hobby good hobby for folks i gotta get better at tying knots before i start yeah you're skipping a step (laughs) (laughs) my knot tying skills these days are for the birds so i think i lost oh during the tournament that we had i i lost for pretty expensive lures, but it was on the same line, so we kind of figured it. Wait, you lost lures that day? Yeah, I on lost. our on our club fishing trip. Yep, I lost four. Where was I? I didn't know that. <laughs> There's nothing <laughs> in there but weeds. So I stopped fishing <laughs> with braid because I thought it was fractured or something was happening. Every time I put on a new lure, it'd break off. Um, have you ever experienced anything like that? No, you want to tie a Palomar with braid. Yeah, if you tie like a prove clinch knot or something it's not as it could slip on you yeah absolutely a palomar with braid that's that's one of the harder knots to tie if if you guys out there listening (laughs) 
Well, there's a lot of YouTube. YouTube. It. Yeah, YouTube it, right? YouTube yeah. it and then fidget with fishing line while you're watching TV. Is that a, a good, good way to good practice? Way to practice? Yeah. One thing I picked up from you was you usually cut a, what, about a six-foot length of braid mm-hmm. and then do a uni knot. Yeah, when you're floral. fishing with braid, you want to, you want when the spinning rod especially, you always want to tie a fluorocarbon leader on there because if, if, if you're fishing in heavy cover, you don't need to do that. But if you're in open water, they can see the braid and they won't bite. But if you're like pitching a jig into a big thick weed bed or brush, they can't differentiate the line from the cover mm-hmm. so you can tie your braid straight to your jig but if you're in open oh, okay. water you absolutely have to have a fluorocarbon leader in open water like smallmouth fishing in the river and yeah there you go. A helpful tips. Tip. yes very helpful i hope that uh, i mean i i got some great tips there i'm excited to go apply hopefully anyone listening to this as well feels the same but Good. uh any chance to to pick a pro's brain you know is appreciated so there's a moment in your career that we wanted to ask you about where you rejected a large sum of money from Anheuser-Busch. Uh, could you remind us, uh, not that it truly matters, but I just can't remember how much money that was and your motivation for rejecting that. So it was a hundred grand, and it was announced at the beginning of the tour season that Anheuser-Busch was going to be the sponsor of the Angler of the Year prize. So whoever won Angler of the Year would win a hundred grand. But in return for that money, they wanted to use that fisherman in marketing and advertising, point of purchase displays and liquor stores and whatnot. So it's funny because before the year even started, some of us told the tourists that we're not going to do that stuff. I mean, they were not. It's just personal convictions that you. Some guys, you know, you can't force somebody. We don't. We live in a free country. We can't be forced to be on the marketing team for an alcohol company if you don't want to be. And so the year started that year, we had 10 tournaments on the bass circuit from Florida to California. Right before the last tournament of the year, there was like four of us that were in their hunt for the angler of the year title. And they're all four guys were like not going to do the Anheuser-Busch thing. They were, it's funny. It's like, I don't know how it just worked out that way. God kind of has a sense of humor, I think sometimes. <laughs> and not true. that there's, you know, so it's at the time back then, my wife and I were teaching a Sunday school class to high school kids at the church we went to. And I just didn't feel right about, you know, I'm not a big beer drinker anyway. Why would I want to be marketing beer, you know? Yeah. So anyway, the year I remember praying with all my buddies before the last tournament, all four of us that were in contention for that, that, you know, that, that whoever God wanted to win it would win it and it would, and would see what happened. And we go the, and all year long, I'd been praying about that. I said, you know, well, Lord, what am I going to do? If I win Angler of the Year and I, I'm not going to be forced to promote beer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because yeah. there's a lot of politics there. See, the Anheuser-Busch was a big sponsor of the tour. True. So the tours want to make their sponsor happy. Yeah. And they don't didn't really want the fishermen, you know, making their big sponsors unhappy and go away. Right. Yeah. But right. at the yeah. same time, you got they had to honor people's personal convictions. So I... Anyway, it's a great God story because it's one of the best ones that I've ever had in my whole career. So right before that year, I, I, I had just won the Classic and the Angler of the Year the year before. And so I wrote an autobiography, and it was about my kind of my life's journey. It's called Jay Yellis, A Champion's 
journey of faith, family, and fishing. And it wasn't really a book about how to catch fish. It was mostly sharing my life story and my faith in Christ. And and it was meant to inspire and encourage other people in their faith walk. And so I'm praying about what we're going to do going into this last tournament. And right before, you know, when you're praying, a lot of times God, he's seldom early in answering your prayers, <laughs> but he's never late. Yeah. <laughs> he's never late. So right before, like two days before I was praying about it, I just felt like God had a friend of mine call me. And he said, hey, if you win Angler of the Year, why don't you give that hundred grand, use that hundred grand to give away copies of your new book? And that was like the Holy Spirit was like, yes, that's exactly what you're supposed to do. I had total peace that that was, I found the answer to what I've been praying for. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Through, through a word spoken by my friend. And so I, that's why I, right then I, I, in my heart, I, the issue was settled. And I went to the last tournament, one Angler of the Year, and then we used we that money to give away t- about 20,000 copies of that paperback book wow. and folk fishermen around the country could just call uh the it was Thomas Nelson was the publisher give them their name and address and we'd shipped we shipped out 20,000 copies so that wow. that was cool but what was even better was the fruit of that cuz we I had all kinds of people come up to me and they would say oh Jay my son read your book and and uh he found Jesus Wow. And we just wanted to thank you. Or wow, my Jay, my husband read your book and he started coming back to church again with me. Mm-hmm. Wow, a, a lady would say. Or one time we were in Chicago at the boat show, the following year after the book came out, and I was asked to come do a seminar up there. And I was doing a seminar, and the whole time I was doing this seminar, there's a big, huge black man in the back of the room. He looked like a lineman for the Chicago Bears. Big. <laughs> he's like six eight. 350 just a mountain of a man and he had this big smile on his face and he was having so much fun and he was just you know he was had the a lot of joy you can just tell he was radiating so radiating yeah. joy and after i finished my presentation he came up to my little table and like and i thought maybe he had a question about one of my lures or maybe he wanted to ask me something instead he just grabbed he put his arms around me, gave me a bear, bear hug. And <laughs> he, no escaping that and he, one. And he picked me up off the ground and wow. he started twirling me around. And I'm like, dude, please don't me eat down. me. <laughs> yeah, don't eat me. <laughs> don't eat me. I'm like, what, what are you doing? He said, oh, I just had to tell you, Jay, I read your book and I found Jesus. And I wow. just wanted to give you a great I big hug. That. Wow. I mean, that's totally a God yeah. thing, right? Yeah, I mean, there's, absolutely. I, mean, I never even, I couldn't even make that up. Yeah. And yeah. if and so anyway that was then there was lots and lots of fruit that came out of that sharing sharing my that book and a lot of people read it. So that Yeah. Anyway, God used that whole situation for good. Yeah. That $100,000. And then what's cool was the people at Anheuser-Busch, they came up to me and they said, "Hey man, we think it's cool that you used that money to give away copies of your book cuz we don't want people promoting our product that don't believe in it, that don't want to promote it anyhow. So mm. it was just kind of there a, go. it all worked for good. Like yeah. Romans yeah. eight twenty eight. you mm-hmm. know, God can work. Everything works for good for those that love him Yeah, and are called according to his purpose. So that's anyway, that's one of my favorite scriptures and that's a yeah perfect example of it. Absolutely. So y- you haven't alluded to it. You've come out and said, you know, you're a Christian you know, we've we've been talking about kind of the spiritual aspect of it and i think for me when when i first heard about jay 
And I heard that story. I was like, what's that guy have that everybody else doesn't, that he wouldn't go take a hundred grand and promote something like that. For me, I knew the answer right away. And that was, you know, your faith. I think a lot of times, uh, we get kind of a bad rap as Christians, you know, for being weird or, or whatever. We're trying to prove that, hey, you know, Christian men, we're, we're normal guys, Christian ladies, normal ladies. You know, we all like doing the same stuff as everybody else. What kind of set you apart from everybody else in the tournament series and as well as just kind of your, your motivation and and how your faith played into that. I don't know how to answer that really, Eric, other than to say it's, it's just all about Jesus. Yeah. And he's, you know, when I was became born again in, on February 28th of 1993, you know, the Holy Spirit came into my life, into my, my heart, and God um, forgave me of my sins because when I asked him to and I accepted Jesus as payment for my sins and welcomed him into my life and I surrendered my life to him and then he just fills you with so much peace and so much, you know, all the fruits of the spirit, love, joy, peace, long suffering, patience, forgiveness, self-control, all that stuff that, and it's, and it's just been awesome. And so I, and I have so many stories like I've been sharing with you guys mm-hmm. where it's just like a no brainer, how I've been so blessed in my fishing career. And sure. it's so, so it's easy to give God the glory and, and, uh, and not that life is a, series of mountaintop experiences because a lot of Christians, not a lot, all Christians, all people go through hard times too. Right. You you get sickness or the loss of a loved one or financial woes, or it could be your dream just falls apart, or it could be any number of things. Life has got a lot of hard things too, but God's right there with you through the highs and the lows. Yep. And he's right there with you the whole time and bringing your peace and comfort. And he, you know, he loves us so much. And he, he promises us, you know, that he's, uh, he's got our back. He's on our side and he's, you know, he's given us the blueprint on how to live our best life in the, in the word. I mean, if you read that, it's God's example of, Hey, I love you. And this is what's in your best interest, (laughs) you know, live, live, you know, do, don't just read the word, do what it says. And so if you live your life like that, it's all good. I mean, I Jesus said he came to bring life and life more abundantly, and he came to bring eternal life. And eternal life isn't just heaven after you die. Eternal life begins the moment you accept Christ as your Lord and Savior. Yep. Yeah. And, and yeah. so he, he, you go from just being plodding along and not really living to living the full abundant life that he has for you now. Yeah. And, you know, yeah. eternal life begins now, the moment you get saved and give your heart to Christ. And so that's, and then it goes on for all eternity. Yeah. So, I mean, what what's better than that? <laughs> Nothing. <Yeah. laughs> so anyway, and he, you know, he, uh, he's given me a, a true love for fishing and, a, and an ability to do it and a gift. And so I love, you know, I love, I still love fishing. There's nothing I'd rather do every day when I get up and go fish. And I'm thankful I'm able to use that gift to be able to, you know, share God's love for other people and encourage and inspire others in their faith walk. Cause I know how good God is. And I want to, I care about all my, all my friends. I have a lot of Christian friends and I have a lot of non-Christian friends and I want, I want us all of them to have eternal life. Yeah. 
and and so that's only found jesus said i am the way the truth and the life and no man comes to the father except by me so it's all about jesus it's really simple yeah well and i i think one thing i heard recently was uh just you know and this was a pastor speaking actually my cousin he was saying you know just because i'm a pastor or just because we're christians doesn't mean we're exempt from life right oh yeah or heartache I, i think for me like having a lot of heartache and stuff like that happen in my life. Uh, the one thing I keep falling back on is uh, something Alistair Begg said, and that was a lifetime of suffering here on earth is only a mere moment in heaven. A mere moment, yeah. And that's kind of, that's been my, the last seven, eight years, that's kind of been my my go-to model for my life. Yeah. That's good. That. That's that's true. Our perspective on time is so different than God's perspective on time. Yeah. He has all eternity, you know, and we just want, well, ours anyway, but I like that's so true. Eternity yeah. is, is, uh, is forever. So yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. I just kind of, I don't know when I heard that it made sense and it, mm-hmm. well, I think, uh, I think we've accomplished what we set forward to do today. I think we have. Good. Jay, I want to say yeah. thank you so much. And I Absolutely. I, I want to take the opportunity just with everything that's been said to go ahead and share the gospel in case anyone who's listening to this is feeling some sort of a pull they want to know what it means to give their life to Christ. I'm going to I'm going to share the gospel and uh if anyone listening to this responds to this gospel message, like I said, find us on Facebook. You can find me on Instagram. Bryant Cashton, you can find Eric on Instagram, the Doc Knocker, and we'd love to uh, to follow up with you guys. But I, let's end it out by sharing the gospel. The Son of God took your sin and died in your place, then rose again by the power of the Holy Spirit, which made a way for you to have eternal life and reunite with the God who created you. When you believe and make Jesus the Lord of your life, you are saved, then filled by that same Holy Spirit as a down payment for your eternity. After that, the presence of God in your heart slowly changes your outlook and behavior, causing you to love God and love others and be a part of the gospel mission. Amen. Right on point. Amen. Yeah, that's good. Jay, if uh, people wanted to find out more about ICAT, or sorry, Cast for Kids Foundation, mm-hmm. uh, where can we find you there as well on as well as social yeah, media. So, yeah, castforkids.org is our website, and we have a Cast for Kids on Facebook and also on Instagram. It's C-A-S-T-F-O-R-K-I-D-S. And it's we put pictures all the time up there of these special kids having fun, catching them at events. And, and it's it, there's a lot of and some cool videos and stuff. It's fun. It's pretty light. If you need a moment to brighten your day, there's nothing – better than seeing a special needs kid holding up the first fish he's ever caught and uh, brings a lot of joy i look forward to volunteering in the future yeah great awesome yeah well jay once again thank you for your time and your heart and your knowledge thank you guys for having me on absolutely it's great all right thank you have a good day